Father, we thank you for this morning. God, that we can just come and be with you. And God, that we can come and we choose to say, God, we surrender our everything to you. God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your son Jesus for us. And God, this morning, we love you. God, we pray that you'd speak to us through your word. God, speak to us this morning. God, have your way in us. God, as we surrender our hearts to you, we love you and we give this service to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And John, come share what the Lord's put on your heart. Good morning, church family. It's uh, humbling, nervous, but excited to, to share my testimony uh, of Jesus Christ today and really what it's done in my life. Um, bear with me here real quick. So for those of you who don't know, we've kind of been going through some challenging times in our life past several months. And, you know, what does God have planned for us was a big question. What I did know were the events that led up to it. Receiving great messages from Brother Lee, uh, Nathan, as well as, you know, in the worship service, that it's about God's purpose. It's about doing God's work. And I had to ask myself, was I doing that? I wasn't. I was consumed with things. I was consumed with money. And I started questioning what was right for us. The things I knew, I had a beautiful family. Jamie, my wife of 24 years, uh, Sarah Ann, my daughter getting ready to graduate high school, go on to college, and my son currently serving in Hawaii in the Army. But one day I got a, after questioning this, my friend John Forrester, he doesn't even know this, but I was looking on Facebook and he had posted something that really captured me. And it said, it was Psalms 37, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Well, what am I going to do? I've got a mortgage. I've got a family support. So I started reflecting back on the times of my life. When I dropped out of high school and I got my GED, to the time that I joined the military, had a great career in the military, went on to get my undergraduate degree, to the time I went on to get my MBA. It was about God, having faith that God will provide for us at all times. So here I am, kind of caught in a job that was just consuming my life. I was absent as a father. I was absent as a husband. And it was hurting. But Nathan, that day when he stood up there and talked about doing God's work, serving, I sat there and I questioned it. And I said, I need to do something with my life. And one day I felt Jeremiah 11. I really felt like, like God had put Jeremiah 29, 11 on my heart. Um, everyone knows it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. He has a plan. Unfortunately, God doesn't let us know what those plans are, right? And that's a challenge about it. But I sat there, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I talked to my wife, and I talked to my family, and we decided it was time to, to do it. And she said, just resign. God will provide. He has always provided in the past. This is no different. So that morning, I'm sitting there, and I've convinced myself that I'm going to resign because I'm at peace. She called me about three times. Well, have you done it? Have you done it? Have you done it? I was like, no, I haven't. Last time she called me, she said, quit being a girl and do it. <laughs> so I went in there and looked him and 
Things are going great at work, right? This is out of the out of left field. And I sat there and I told him I was resigning for the, from the company. I'd give him two weeks' notice. And after about five minutes of awkward silence and asking me if I'd reconsider, I said, you know, this is what I'm called to do. I need to do something different. So now, two weeks later, I'm unemployed and I am nervous. Now I'm starting to question my own decision. Did I do the right thing? I've got a mortgage, I've got bills, I've got a daughter getting ready to go to college, how am I gonna do this? And I am frustrated. That night I was pretty ticked off. And I went to sleep, I was praying and I was praying. Wake up in the morning, grab the phone, just four o'clock and my eyes open. Grab my phone and I look at it. I'm looking for the email. Did I get anything? Nothing. Go over to LinkedIn, of course we know that's where we're doing most of our work and I look at it, nothing. And I'm frustrated, so then I start perusing through other things. Here is my God vine from April the 3rd. Remember that God is with you today. And it was a picture of a lion. And it was Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you to be strong and be courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I sat there just... Just a wave of, of emotion came over me. I started crying. And my wife leans over, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning. Shut up, I'm trying to sleep. And I told her, no, you know, I really feel like God's talking to me. I will tell you, I am not lying. 11 o'clock that afternoon, I got a phone call. Hey, we want you to come out to Denver. We want to talk to you about a position. We want you to manage our railroad. And can you be out here next week? Two hours later, I get a phone call from Houston. Pretty much the same thing. So after much prayer and deliberation, we decided that we were going to do the, the Denver. We feel like we're called to go to Denver. We are relocating here in a, about a week. So if you were to ask me right now, does God exist? It is my testimony that absolutely God exists. 100% God exists. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, down here to atone for our sins. God, our, our Jesus Christ died on that cross for us so we could have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He got up and busted out three days later and ascended to heaven. So I know our God is real. And thank you very much for allowing me the opportunity. And to my, to my church family, thank you all for everything. It has been tremendous the past two years. And Alito, our church at the crossing will always have a special place in our heart. Thank you. So everybody's going to resign tomorrow, right? <laughs> Thank you for sharing with us. Blessing. First Samuel chapter 26. First Samuel chapter 26. Oh, David, he's a, he is really something, isn't he? When you go through and look at the different things that he engages in, we just, you got to kind of shake your head. Uh, when you read the Psalms, some of the Psalms that he has penned, you would think he had the closest walk with the Lord. And then you see some of the things that he was involved in, and you think, he, he was just a mess. We see him one way, one experience, the next way, the next experience, up and down, up and down. And so we move on and see what he does today. First Samuel chapter 26. Now some men from Ziph came to Saul at Gebeah to tell him, David is hiding on the hill of Achilah, which overlooks Jeshimon. So 
Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops and went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziv. Saul camped alongside the road beside the hill of Akala near Jeshimon, where David was hiding. When David learned that Saul had come after him into the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the report of Saul's arrival. So here they are in close proximity again, knocking on the door. What's going to happen? David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? So these people are here to kill you. He's got 3,000 of the elite troops. He didn't bring the unelite troops. He brought the best troops he had. And here it is. They're all sleeping. They're all in camp one night. And David just slips on over to see what's going on. Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. Protection, right? Fire watch is happening and everyone is asleep. Who will volunteer to go in there with me? David asked Amalek, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zariah, Joab's brother. I'll go with you, Abishai replied. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Here we go again, Saul and his spear. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. Abner is right beside him, and there they are. They're in a circle of men. They have been able to navigate right through those men. And by the way, there's 3,000 of them. And they navigate through all those men that have, have circled Saul and Abner. And they walk in there, and they find... Uh, Saul there with his spear. It's stuck in the ground beside his head. Verse 8, God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishah whispered to David. We've heard that before, hadn't we? There's David and his men back in the cave at, there at En Gedi, and Saul walks in there unprotected to relieve himself, and the men go, Here's what we've been waiting on. God has given us our enemy. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time. Abishai whispered, David, let me pin him to the ground. With one thrust of the spear, I won't need to strike twice. So I, I, I can just picture Abishai's got his sword, his knife, or his spear, and, and he's there and he's looking over Saul and I, I want, is Saul on his stomach? Is he a side sleeper? Is he a back sleeper? What's going on? I, I wonder if he's thinking about, I, I could take this spear and I could put it right through his throat. I could put it right into his brain. I could put the spear right into his heart. This thing's over with. I mean, it's done. God has surely handed our enemy to us. I'll take, uh, I will pin him to the ground with one thrust, one thrust of the spear. I won't, need to, I won't need to strike twice. And then David says in verse 9, No, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? I can just see Abishai said, or thinking, 
Why do we risk our life to get on in here in the middle of all these men if we're not going to take him out? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday. So David is, even though he could take matters into his own hands, he still resists. David had a lot of problems. David had some issues that needed to be worked out. But, but when the cards were on the table, David understood that you didn't need to take matters into your own hands when it came to God's anointed. He knew that. He knew that when the chips are down, you need to trust God. He says it very clearly here. Someday the Lord will strike Saul. Someday. Or he will die of old age or in battle. Saul is going to be taken. There's no question about that. However, it's not ours to take. Do you recognize that there are some things that are not ours to take? There are some things in this life that are simply not ours to take. To kill the anointed of God is one from David. We would say it this way, we are not to get in the way of God's plans. If we begin to get in the way of God's plans, we need to back up. We don't need to be in the way of God's plans. We don't need to take matters into our own hands. The Lord's going to take him, old age or battle, but he's going one day. In verse 11, David says, The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed, but take his spear and that jug of water beside his head, and let's get out of here. So he's got his spear, and he's got a jug of water. He's got Saul's jug of water. So David took the spear and jug of water that were near Saul's head. Then he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. God done shut their eyes. He made it so they wouldn't wake up. Someone had to have fire watch, right? Someone had to be on alert. More than one, 3,000 men. There's no telling how many men it was their turn to be awake to keep the enemy from taking them, to keep anything from going on. But God just caused them all to fall into a deep sleep. And so they walk right in there and got Saul's spear and his jug. David climbed the hill opposite camp until he was at a safe distance. Then he shouted down to the soldiers and to Abner, son of Ner, Wake up, Abner! Who is it, Abner demanded? Who's calling my name? I can just see all the men beginning to, What's going on? What's going on? What's happening? What's happening? Listen to what David says. Well, Abner... You're a great man, aren't you? Where in all Israel is there anyone as mighty? So why haven't you guarded your master of the king when someone came to kill him? This isn't good at all. I swear by the Lord that you and your men deserve to die because you failed to protect your master. The Lord's anointed. 
Look around. Where are the king's spear and the jug of water that were beside his head? I can just see it. I can see Abner looking around. Where, where did, who, took, who took the spear? Who's got the jug of water? Oh my gosh, what's happened? Now, you, you see that experience in movies all the time, in TV shows, in books. The mafia use it all the time. You know, when, when there's this scene that, that they're trying to coerce someone or extort someone or, or they're working to control someone, you know, they'll send them a picture of, you know, grandma's house. Or they'll send, a, they'll put a note in your house, right? That, so you know they were there. And so I reckon that's where they got that story. This has been in print a long time. And David was the first one, so he probably should get a award in Hollywood or something. In verse 17, we have a similar story here as well. Saul recognized David's voice and called out, Is that you, my son David? Saul's got issues. Now, Saul might have been led by people. Saul might have been falling to political um, forces. Because he very quickly switches from mobilizing to kill Saul to kill David, rather, and then all of a sudden, he's, is that you, my son? Is that you calling out to me, David? And David replied, yes, my lord, the king. Why are you chasing me? What have I done? What is my crime? We've heard that before, but once again, David is on it. Now, he says in verse 19 something that is really important for us to see in this story. This is David. David says... But now let my Lord the King listen to his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, then let him accept my offering. But if this is, a, a, if this is simply a human scheme, then may those involved be cursed by the Lord Human scheme or the will of God? That's a good question that we need to ask ourselves. John shared today what he did because he believed it was the Lord's will. And I'm sure there were struggles, he said, when the email didn't come in. Human scheme or the Lord's will? I'm sure we all have that question from time to time. That's what David is forcing the issue here. Now, now, Saul, let me ask you here, David says, is this, this craziness, this push, this movement to, to assassinate me, is it human scheme or the will of the Lord? David says, if it's the will of the Lord, then here I am. Take my life. I'm an offering for you. If this is the will of Lord, then let's end this charade. Let's get her done. But if it's human scheme, then may God take care of that. So you have to ask yourself a question. Is what you're currently doing today human scheme or the will of the Lord? 
We all have to ask ourselves a question. We're all thinking, we're all planning, we've been programmed to do that. We're all looking at our circumstances, we're looking at our situation. I'm sure that, that, that most people in this room today are going to be thinking this next week how you can make more money. You're going to think, how can I, how can I resolve that conflict? You're going to think about what's next. You're probably in a situation where the stress of your job is taking over because that's the true story of probably 90% of the folks in the room. The job is hard. The job is difficult. We're, this is a pressure-filled community, a pressure-filled society, which you got. Many in management, many owners, many trying to make the decisions that impact lots of people. Is it the will of the Lord or is it human scheme that you're operating from the base of? Only you can answer that. And it begins with going to the Lord and say, Lord, human scheme or what you want. And if it's human scheme, I release it completely. I just want your will. And then he goes on the second part of verse 19 and he says that the schemes of men can be recognized because the priorities get all upside down. He says, for they, these plans, they, these plans have driven me from my home so I can no longer live among the Lord's people. And they have said, go worship pagan gods. So David's saying to him, now Saul, we've got a problem here. Here we are out here in the wilderness and we're squaring off again. You against me. My men are going to find out where your men is. I come in, play a little game with you. I take your spear and your jug of water. I show you that I can get to you anytime I want. But I've chosen, obviously Saul, you got to recognize I have chosen not to take your life. So if what you're doing is human scheme, then you need to recognize that and you need to let it go. But if what you're doing is the Lord's will, then by all means, take my life. Here I am. Because I believe that you should live for God's will and I should live for God's will. And the results of human scheme. So obviously David recognizes that this is human scheme that is, is haunting old Saul. And he says, the consequences of the human scheme is misplaced priorities among the people. They want to worship pagan gods. And then he says in verse 20, must I die in foreign soul far from the presence of the Lord? Remember, the presence of the Lord was in the side of the tabernacle, in the side of the temple. Why has the king of Israel come out to search for a single flea? Why, why should I mean so much to you, Dave, uh, Saul, David says? I'm just a flea. Why does he hunt me down like a partridge on the mountains? inconsequential to you, King Saul. But David knew that his ego was getting the best of him, and he was driven by the desire of his flesh. 
to kill David. And the results are people get their priorities all out of line. So one way you can tell whether or not you're following the Lord's will or human scheme is the priorities in your life. Do they get fouled up? Because when we're operating from the flesh, things get out of order. David says, you know, we really should be spending our time differently. We should be back in Jerusalem guarding against people worshiping pagan gods. We should be back in Jerusalem where we belong, paying attention to what really matters for the benefit of the people. But here we are out here in the mountains again playing this cat and mouse game. The result of human scheme. Human scheme. So, your life today. Decisions you're making this week. Decisions you've been working on. Is it human scheme or the Lord's will? If it's the Lord's will, it will require faith. It will be true to his word. It will not contradict his scripture. It will be something that will glorify him. It will be something that you will have to do by faith. But if, if it's human scheme, it's something that most likely you feel most comfortable with. It's something that's in your wheelhouse. It's something that makes perfect sense to you, most likely. But it puts everything out of order in your life. Making money before family. Spending time at work rather than with family. More time at work than with family. Not seeing your kids for, for, for family. Not having a life outside of baseball. Not having a life outside of volleyball. Not having a life outside of some sport for the sake of the kid. Is that the Lord's will or human scheme? We have to think about that in our culture. How we spend money, the Lord's will or human scheme? What does God want? What have we missed? What are we blind to? What do we not see clearly? Are we willing to listen to reason from reasonable people? Or are we just blindly holding on to human scheme that's got everything in our life so out of whack? That's what David says here to Saul. That's taking the theological to the practical and the personal, isn't it? Theoretical, the theological, and he brings it on down. He says, let's look at the practical and the personal side of these decisions that you're making. And then he moves along here in verse uh, 21. Once again, Saul confesses. I, I don't personally believe Saul's confessions now. I don't believe the, the, the tears he shed outside of En Gedi. It was just an emotional appeal. It was just, I'm going to make things right, but there was no real 
no real drive to make things right. He just emotional. He just messed up. Then Saul confessed, I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you. You know, oceanfront pr property in Arizona. <laughs> I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you, for you valued my life today. I have been a fool. He got that right. And very, very wrong. Only if he meant it, how it could have been different. That's true in life as well, isn't it? How many people do you know that life is really upside down and every now and then they are really full of sorrow and, and, and they're full of real conviction over their wrongs and their sins? And, and, and you have that mind. If only they meant it this time, how much different it could be. And Saul, he's confessing. He's saying all the right things, but his life just hadn't played out that way. David says in 22, Here's your spear, O king. Let one of your young men... Come over and get it. Can you imagine that conversation out there at the spear and the jug? I, I bet there was a big Cheshire cat smile on David's face or Abner's face. Come on out here and get it. Get one of your young men. Why? He can run quick. We ain't got to waste all his time. Runs over there and I'm here to get Saul's spear and jug. Here it is. Every time Saul looked at that spear and jug, he had to be reminded, I could be dead if not for the heart and the faith and the grace of David. That had to heat burning coals on top of his head. And then we learn this lesson here in verse 23. The Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal, and I refuse to kill you even when the Lord placed you in my power, for you are the Lord's anointed. Now may the Lord value my life, even as I have valued yours today. May he rescue me from all my troubles. David is recognizing a law of life that Saul doesn't understand. And that's the law of life that's universal, that every believer has to deal with and every unbeliever has to deal with. And that's the law of sowing and reaping. He says, now, the Lord gives his own reward for doing good and being loyal. The scripture teaches us that when you sow of the spirit, you reap of the spirit. When you sow of the flesh, you reap the flesh. And he says, may the Lord give his people the treasure, the reward for doing good. All that law of life, that law of sowing and reaping, it's a very difficult law when we're reaping of the flesh because you reap what you sow. You, Saul, you reap what you sow. Saul, your life today is a result of what you've invested in. 
This flesh that you're playing out, this anger that's out of control, this, this craziness that you're manifesting, these decisions that you're making, it's a result of reaping what you sow. Everyone reaps what they sow. Not only do you reap exactly what you sow, you reap more than you sow. Boy, now, on the positive side, that's a wonderful thing. David's saying, the reason why I am so blessed, the reason why you can't get me is because I'm making good choices about you. I have not taken revenge in my own hand. I have not killed you. I am respecting the Lord's anointed. I am respecting the law of God. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reaping the blessing of sowing the right thing. And Saul is, is harvesting that horrible thing, more problems than you can handle. So the law of life is this. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap later than you sow. Here it is once again, springtime. Put the tomato in the ground. Watch it come on up. If you take all those seeds out, you see how God is reaping, how God is harvesting, how God is multiplying what you sow. You reap what you sow, you reap far more than you sow, even though you reap later than you sow. So what are you sowing? Are you sowing what God wants? Are you sowing the good things? Are, are you sowing the things of the Spirit? Are you investing yourself in the things that matter Prayer, faith, obedience, doing the things that you know for sure God wants you to do, or are you like Saul, sowing the things of the flesh? Now, on the positive side, what a blessing is received when you do the right thing at the right time, always obeying God. But how horrible it is on the flip side when you're, re when you're sowing the things of the flesh. You just get more junk on you than you can navigate. And that's Saul's life. That's Saul's life. Finishes up by, and Saul said to David, Blessings on you, my son David. You will do many heroic deeds, and you will surely succeed. Then David went away, and Saul returned home. Oh, my Are the plans that you're following today, are they the plans of the Lord or the human schemes? Are your priorities in the right order? Are you sowing the right things? Father, help us to learn from this lesson today, from the testimonies today. We, we, we pray, Father, that you will bless us, as we've heard your word, as we responded, we've been challenged today, and, and may we do what you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward for our offering.